Amen. So this Sunday morning, we are continuing our teaching series called Nobody is Nobody. And what we are doing during the course of this series, we're looking at people in the Bible who come into one of two categories. Either some of them are people who are pretty obscure, you probably never even heard of. And others are people who you, you might have seen their story, but they're not even named in the Bible. And we've looked at a number of those. Faith did a great job last week of teaching for us. If you missed that, then I want to encourage you to go to our website or go to our Facebook page or to YouTube, and you can catch up with the, the teaching from last Sunday. And today I want to go on and talk about another individual. I was, um, I would have been 13 years old, which you might imagine was a long time ago, but trust me, it wasn't. So <laughs> I, I was 13 years old, and I begged my mother to wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning so that I could come downstairs and watch a boxing match on TV. It was February the 26th, 1964. And an upstart, full of himself, young boxer from Louisville, Kentucky, who was called Cassius Clay, was going to fight the legend Sonny Liston for the World Heavyweight Championship. And Clay was predicting forever how much he was, how, how he was going to win, how he was going to beat Liston. He, he, in his press conferences, he, he says, Sonny Liston's a bear. He even smells like a bear. <laughs> and when I've beaten that bear, I'm going to donate him to a zoo. And it was like the hype. I know, I know boxing nowadays, the hype and everything else is kind of part of it, but it wasn't back then. So he was quite, you know, he was really, like this young upstart, like what the heck, he's talking to Sonny Liston like that. And, and uh, I begged my mother, because it was happening in Miami, but, but the fact is we're in the UK, which is five hours ahead. It was going to be nine o'clock at night over here, but it was going to be two o'clock in the morning. And, and I begged my mother, and she agreed, because my mother wanted to see it too. She loved watching, no, she did. She loved watching sport. She loved watching sport. So here we are. I'm bleary-eyed. My mother's there. And my mom and I, I don't think she went to bed that night, but we, 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 we're sitting up there and we, and we watch this. And, and to our absolute surprise and amazement, though he was the seven to one underdog, Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston and took the world championship. Some of you can remember that, I see. Darn, you're old. Uh, but <laughs> I only know it because my mother told me about it. No, I was there. I was there too. But, but it was, it's like, I, I, you know, part of me was like, no, you know, he's so outrageous, so audacious. And it's like, yay, I love that. And, and we love stories where the underdog comes through, don't we? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. There's a, there, there, there was a part in the, the history of God's people in the Old Testament when what had happened was this. God's people, the Israelites, had been, um, they'd been slaves basically in Egypt for 400 years. Then came the Exodus, which you have heard of, and Moses brought them out of their slavery, and he was taking them towards the land God said that he would give them, the promised land. And they came to the land God gave them, 
And um, when they got there and began to settle in there, there, beca there began a period of history spanning several hundred years that were totally ups and downs for the people of Israel. And it went like this. When they got there and everything was great, they forgot about God. When they forgot about God, everything started to go bad. When things were going bad, they begged God to help them. God sent somebody to help them and things got better. But when things got better, they forgot it. Are you getting the pattern? And that was how it was. It was like, what, you know, it went through these ups and downs and they begged with God and the, the Old Testament book of Judges is, is the story of the different leaders who brought them out of their difficulties and led them into a better place, okay? Now, in the book of Judges, chapter 3 and verse 31, there's this verse. Shamgar, son of Anath, came after Ehud. Ehud was one of those leaders. Now, Shamgar is. Using a cattle prod, he killed 600 Philistines single-handed. He, too, saved Israel. That, in three sentences, is the whole of the story of Shamgar. That's it. Now, some of you might be sitting here this morning and think, hey, I think we're going to get out early after all. And what I want to say is never underestimate the ability of a veteran preacher with three sentences. <laughs> Sham Shamgar's like, you know, he's... I'm going to venture a guess that most of you never heard of him till today, right? Because that's, you know, that's in one single verse that's hidden there away in the book of Judges. Shamgar, son of Anath, came after Ehud. Using a cattle prod, he killed 600 Philistines single-handed. He too saved Israel. Now, sometimes in the Bible, names are significant. So I'm thinking, maybe his name tells us more about him. And then I looked at his father's name. Anath means poverty. Well, that doesn't tell us a lot. Shamgar means he is here as a stranger. Dead right. We don't know anything about him. So that didn't help us. But what I get from this verse, what I get from the story of Shamgar, who seems to be a nobody, is this. Number one, Shamgar was full of fight. He was full of fight. What was happening in his time was because God's people had turned their backs on God, things began to slide, and, and, and the Philistine nation began to uh, oppress them, they would attack them, they would steal their crops, they would steal their herds, and the Philistines were giving them a really hard time. In fact, in Judges 5, 6, this is the only other time you'll find Shamgar's name. It says, in the time of Shamgar, son of Anath, public roads were abandoned, travelers went by back roads. So it was like, it was so dangerous because they might get attacked by the Philistines, so dangerous to go on the main roads that everybody used the back roads. People were living in fear. They were terrorized by the Philistines. And here's Shamgar, who as far as we know, was a farm worker, an agricultural laborer. And the Bible says what Shamgar did was he used a cattle prod and killed 600 Philistines single-handed and saved Israel. A cattle prod, I'm told, 
I had to look this up because I'm not familiar with cattle prods. If you are, and, and I get it wrong, please just go along with me, all right? So apparently a cattle prod was about eight feet long, and, and, and it had like a, a, a sharp end. So one end was a sharp end, and that was used if you were plowing to prod the oxen to make them go. And the other end was a flat kind of blade, and that was to clean the dirt off from the blades of the plow. So this eight-foot thing, pointed one end, flat the other end, and, and that was the tool that, that he had. And when, when Shamgar was faced with the Philistine enemy, he took what he had in his hand, and he killed 600 of them, and the outcome was that Israel was free. Now, what's that got to do with you and me sitting in Medford in 2022? I mean, nice story, but really. And here's the thing. Here's why it's relevant to you and me. Let me remind you of the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We've got enemies too. We've got battles that we fight. But he says, look, our, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not, a, it, it's not people. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he reminds them, he says, look, there is a spiritual battle that's going on, and, 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 and that battle is a battle that's being waged by dark spiritual forces. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out here this morning because there's no need to freak anybody out because over 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated the devil and showed him and us who's in charge. But, but we still need to be aware of the fact that there is a spiritual battle that goes on because the devil's defeated, but he acts as if he's not. So what he's trying to do, he's trying to bring us down. He's trying to destroy our faith. He, you know, and things, things that are going on in our lives so often, and we think, what the heck is happening here? And sometimes you need to step back and realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. And I'm going to tell you this. You know where most of our spiritual battles are waged? Right here, right, right here, right here. That's the battlefield. The mind is the biggest battlefield. That's where the seeds of negativity, seeds of doubt are, are, are born. That's where our fears are harbored. That's where misgivings are dropped in. That is where sinful desires are stirred up. Listen, I want to tell you this today, just in case you'd missed it. No one ever said this was going to be easy. No one ever said it was going to be easy to follow the Lord and to serve Him. And if you, you know, some folks preach as if you give your life to Jesus and let Jesus fix everything. And it's like Jesus doesn't fix everything. Some stuff He lets us go through. But He does stick by our side as it happens. If you think it's going to be easy, look what happened to Jesus. And actually, Jesus said, if they did this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Because we live in a wicked world 
that is run by basically godless people. And we live as believers often totally surrounded by unbelievers. So there are going to be conflicts, there are going to be stress points, and there are going to be areas where it's a battle. It's a battle to make sure we hold on to our faith. It's a battle to make sure that we keep focused on what God says and are going the way God directs us. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, it says this. Paul's writing to a young pastor, and he says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life. I want to just pause there for a moment. Take hold, he says, of the eternal life. You, you, you know what the idea there is? You've got to grab onto sometimes and cling on to the life God's given you. And I'm not going to say you're going to lose it. I'm not saying you're going to be deprived of it. But sometimes we just need to dig our heels in and say, here's where I stand and I'm trusting God and I'm believing God and there can be 10,000 demons against me and nobody else around me might agree with me, but I am totally committed to being faithful to what God has said. That, that's the way we've got to be it. Take hold of eternal life. Don't, don't let go of the things that are precious, the things to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Grip onto it. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever watch a, a football game, you know, and there's a fumble and somebody recovers the ball and then immediately there's like 30,000 tons of human flesh that jumps on him, right? And you got all these opposing players that have all jumped on him, and every single one of them, they're not trying to squash him. It looks like they're trying to kill him, but they're not. What they're actually trying to do is strip the ball off of him, and they're all trying to get the ball. And the one thing he's doing at the bottom of this whole mass is he's clinging onto the ball for all it's worth. It might be the last time he breathes, but he's not letting go of the ball. Cling on to, hold on to the eternal life God's given you. Don't let things cause you to drift. Don't let anything come between you and your faith. It's going to be a battle. That's why in, in Psalm 144 in verse 1, it says this, praise me to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Now, we're, you know, we're surrounded by believers who seem to be looking for something that never comes. They're looking for the Florida beach chair kind of Christianity. And what they seem to have is battle after battle, issue after issue, problem after problem, and then they're sitting thinking, what's gone wrong? And the fact is, nothing has gone wrong. If you, if you really take a good look at the Bible, it talks about fighting a lot. It talks about battles a lot. It is going to be tough at times. God trains our hands for war, my fingers for battle. And my encouragement to you all this morning is this. Don't let life knock the fight out of you. Shamgar was full of fight. The Philistines had been their enemies for years and years and years. There were overwhelming odds that were against him. 
But Shamgar was determined that he was going to fight. You might be going through a tough chapter in your life right now, but I just want to remind you this morning, the rest of the book has not yet been written. Don't quit. Don't surrender. Now, I know we've been told that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, but that's not in this book anywhere. It really isn't. People looking to sell cute little fridge magnets in Cracker Barrel made that up. <laughs> Sometimes we're in over our heads. Anybody identify with that? Right? Sometimes we're in over our heads. Sometimes it feels as if we're drowning. But the reality is we are never there alone. And if you this morning are feeling as if you are overwhelmed by things in life, you're feeling like you're drowning, I just want to encourage you this morning, don't give up the fight whether it's for you, whether it's for something important to you, whether it's for your family, whether it's for your children, keep fighting. You know why we don't give up? We don't give up because it's about more than us. There was a time later in the history of God's people when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and its uh, people were taken away as prisoners of war. And then eventually their captors allowed some to go back and to start to rebuild the temple. And there was one of, there was one of them who was still away as a prisoner of war, but in a privileged position. And he began to get really anxious about the fact that the city of Jerusalem, the walls were still in ruins. And he went to the king that he served and said, would, would you just allow me to go back? and take some people and stir up the ones that are there to rebuild the walls of the city. So Nehemiah did that. There's a whole book in the Bible about what he did. So Nehemiah goes back and he gets ready to start rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, when he started to rebuild the walls, a lot of Israel's enemies then, they started to threaten and, and they started, some threatened them, some ridiculed them because they didn't want Jerusalem to become safe and secure again. And Nehemiah gathered the people together, and here's what he said. He said, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah said to them, this isn't just about you. You've got to fight for your families. You've got to fight for your sons and daughters. You've got to fight for your wives. You've got to fight for your homes. And you know, at times when life is a battle and holding on to our faith seems to become difficult, we need to recognize the fact that the choices we make in those moments not only impacts us, but it affects our families. It affects our children. It affects our spouses. And, and, and the fact that we determine that we will not give way uh, in the spiritual battle, but that we will continue to fight and stand firm has a significant influence on others. Shamgar was full of fight. 
It's quite interesting that the Apostle Paul, who'd said to Timothy at one point, you know, you've got to fight the good fight. Right at the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy again. And here's what he says at the end of his life, 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. That's how he describes his life. I have fought the good fight. Stand firm. Stay the course. Hold on to what is precious to you. Fight the good fight. Shamgar was full of fight. The second thing I want to tell you about Shamgar that I see from that one verse, three sentences, is he was not only full of fight, but he was full of faith. He was full of faith. He thought he could do it. He thought he could do it. This was, his, his ox goad was the only thing that he had in his hand. But the fact is, these were the enemies of God's people, and, and he was going to, you know, he, he, he was going to take them on, and he was going to attack them. He thought that he could do it. I'm reminded of a verse in, uh, in, in Psalm 20, in verse 7, which says this. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Listen, sometimes the things we're up against seem absolutely impossible, but we don't look at the strength we have. We don't look at what we've got. What we do is we look to God, and we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 46 and verse 11, we have this fantastic statement, the Lord Almighty is with us. That's great. I, I, I did pause, but only for about seven or eight seconds before one person said amen. We're good. We're good. It's getting better here. So <laughs> that is a fantastic statement. You, you, know, you know how some other translations put that? It says, they say, the God of angel armies is with us. The Lord God, the God of the angel armies is with us. And here we are this morning, and there you are, and wherever your life is at right now, here's what the Bible reminds us. The Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, the Lord Almighty is with us. So I'm going to read that verse again, and, 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 and uh, then I, after that, I'd love for us all to say it. Psalm 46 and verse 11, okay, which says, the Lord Almighty is with us. Are you ready to make that your confession? No, they don't count now because I had to prompt you. All right, so, hey, let's read this all together. Are you ready? The Lord Almighty is with us. Isn't that fantastic? Lift your heart this morning. Lift your eyes. The Lord Almighty is with us. You say, well, it doesn't look like that just now, Rog. It really, I can't see a lot of that. No, that's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. It didn't look like Shamgar could get out of this alive. But he trusted God to help him. And God did. It looked like impossible odds. One man with an ox goad and a 600-person army. But he did. Because faith excels 
in the face of impossible odds. In fact, you generally don't need much faith until the odds become impossible. Because until then, you can work it out for yourself. Until then, you can find a way through. But when things get impossible, that's the point at which faith really kicks into gear. Because faith doesn't give up, faith looks up. And talking faith, our faith, our next-gen pastor, quoted this verse last Sunday, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. And here's the secret of faith. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Shangar set his eyes on what he couldn't see. That was God Almighty in heaven. What he could see was a 600-person army, but he didn't fix his eyes on what he could see. He fixed his eyes on what he couldn't see, and that was God, who is a faithful God, who was going to help him and who was going to bring him through. You see, unbelief comes when we fixate on what we see, but faith looks at what we can't see. God overall. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11 says this towards the end of the verse. The race isn't always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Isn't it always the strongest person who wins or the fastest person who wins? I tell you who wins? The person who trusts God is the person who wins. That's who comes through. Psalm 118 Verse 8 says this, far better to take refuge in God than trust in people. Far better to take refuge in God than trust in celebrities. Amen. <laughs> we won't dwell on that. Hemmed in by barbarians, in God's name I rubbed their faces in the dirt. You've got to love the message sometimes, right? Hemmed in and with no way out, in God's name, I rubbed their faces in the dirt. Like swarming bees, like wild prairie fire, they hemmed me in. In God's name, I rubbed their faces in the dirt. I was right on the cliff edge, ready to fall, when God grabbed and held me. God's my strength. He's also my song. And now, He's my salvation. Amen. Hey, some of you have been there, right? I was right on the cliff edge, ready to fall, when God grabbed me and held me. And praise God today, we say, God is my strength, He's also my song, and He's my salvation. Shamgar was a man who was full of faith. He believed that with God with him, he would succeed. And then the third thing, the last thing I want to point out here, he was a man who was full of fight. He was full of faith. He was full of fervor. He inspired others around him. He killed 600 Philistines by himself, but there were way more Philistines than 600. 
So apparently what Shamgar did was he took his, you know, he, he, he took his allocation. He killed 600 of them, but, his, but his, his faith and his fearlessness inspired others around about them. So the whole massive dominant Philistine army was devastated and retreated. He inspired everyone around him. A number of years ago now, and, 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 and I'm going back a bit because I can, um, a number of years ago now, particularly in the, um, in the songs, a lot of the songs we sang in church and, and a lot of the teaching, it, it, it was kind of very discouraging and, and, and kind of negative. Um, you know, I was driving to church last week listening to some old hymns on the radio like I do. Every single one of them was, was about heaven and I want to go to heaven. And that's good. I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to leave here yet. Hey, that's got honest. Is, is that okay? I mean, that's the reality. I want to go to heaven. I'd, I'd, be, I'd, I'd love to see Jesus, but I, I'd like to see my grandkids too. So, and, and a lot of the preaching was about negative kind of things. And a lot of the teaching was scary stuff about, you know, this world's bad and it's getting worse and it's going to get even worse and the, these are the end times and it's going to get absolutely terrible and terrible and terrible and we're going to be lucky if we get out of this alive. And dear Lord, who'd want to sign up for that? And then around the end of the, I guess we're back into the end of the 70s in the UK, there was a whole new lot. You know, music tends to define a generation, doesn't it? I mean, if you were kind of, you know, if you were at your kind of peak in the 60s, which some of us were, um, you know, the music of the 60s is it's like it's embedded in us, right? And people still listen to that today, folks, because it's good stuff. Anyway, right? So music defines a generation. And there was a whole lot of new music came into church circles. And instead of singing songs that were pining for heaven, and I'm not saying we shouldn't, I'm just saying you've got to keep everything in proportion. We started singing songs like there were a few songs like uh, the church of God is moving, the, the battle has been won, the foe is overcome, and we are marching on today. Songs like, we used to sing songs like, I'm going to take this land for Jesus. I'm going to take it in His name. And suddenly, we began, you know, to get far more positive. And, and then the critics said, oh, that's just triumphalism. It's empty. It's nothing. You've got to be realistic. No, I don't want to be sad. I want to believe God's going to do great things. And then they come in with all the kind of, you know, oh, last days, end times. You know what? I know what the Bible says about that stuff. I know it says in the last days people's love will grow cold. I know it says there's going to be wars and stuff going on. I know it says there'll be terrible stuff happening in the earth. Let me tell you something else it says in the Bible. In the book of Acts in chapter 2, it says this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on every kind of people, your sons and your daughters, 
Your sons and, let's read it as it is. Your sons will prophesy. Also your daughters, your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. And you know what? When I look at what the Bible says about working towards, when God wraps everything up and introduces a new heaven and a new earth, I prefer, you know, I prefer to dwell on this fact that there is going to be some great divine visitation on this earth before everything is finished. And, and, and I prefer to be looking towards that and living for that. You, you know what? My faith is a faith that gives me courage. And I hope my courage encourages other people. This world needs believers who are full of fight, full of faith, but full of fervor. I'm excited. I'm excited for what God has done. I'm excited for who God is. And I'm excited for what God is going to do. Not ready to consign this world, let alone this country, to the trash can. God hasn't had the last word yet. There's, you know, one of the classic stories with the Philistines, a lot of you will, will know, most of you will know, is the story of David and Goliath, right? So Goliath was the giant, you know, champion of the Philistines, and, and he challenged the Israeli army, said, you send somebody out to fight against me, and, and if, if uh, I win, then you become our slaves. If you win, then we serve you. And, and it says this in 1 Samuel 17, 24. The Israelites to a man fell back the moment they saw the giant, totally frightened. All right, so that's how they were. That's how the Israeli army were. They were all absolutely frightened. Step up, young David, with a sling, right? You know the story, right? So he slings, user, whatever you do with a sling. He fires a stone hits Goliath, he falls down, David cuts his head off, Goliath's gone, and then here's what it says in verse 52 of that chapter. The men of Israel, now they change their tune, the men of Israel and Judah were up on their feet shouting. They chased the Philistines all the way to the outskirts of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Listen, one person who is full of fight and full of faith becomes an inspiration to other people. That's the salt and light that this world needs that Jesus says that we should be. There is no limit to what a person who's full of faith and full of fight can achieve. And the truth is that person's fervor becomes an inspiration then to other people. Whatever the odds against you this morning, I'm just going to pull this in now. And whatever the battle you are facing this morning. Fight. Believe. Look for victory. Don't let the devil have the last word. Don't let the enemy put you down. Fight. Believe. Keep trusting. Keep looking. Keep believing. We used to sing a hymn way back that went something like this. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone. Laughs at impossibilities and shouts, it shall be done. Listen, faith says what God promised 
is going to happen. We choose to believe God. We choose to believe God. Shamgar, we don't even know who he was. But he overcame incredible odds and through it became an inspiration to a nation. I want to remind you today that with God's help, you can and you will overcome even the most incredible of odds. And your story then will become an inspiration to others. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep looking upwards to where God is. The Lord of angel armies is on our side. Let's stand and pray together, please.